Chapter Five of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. In the morning, the tall man's eyes followed Mary as she went about the work of her house. As though he were dreaming, he watched her break dry branches and sticks for the fire across her knee. Then it occurred to him to offer to break them for her, and he fetched an armful of wood from the stack in the yard. He gazed, as if it were strange and wonderful to see a woman washing dishes, sweeping and cooking at her own hearth. He saw her leg rope and bale the cow, lead the cow and calf to the fenced paddock on the top of the hill after the milking, and carry buckets of water from the creek to the house, the sunlight touching her bare head and flashing from the water in her pails. Mary did everything in a serene, methodical way, going from one task to another as though she were happy in each, and in no hurry to be done with it. He heard her calling to the fowls as she threw a handful of crumbs to them, and seeing that he was watching, she told him, smiling a little, that the matronly buff hen, Mother Bunch, was a very good hen indeed, laying every day except Sunday in the summer and springtime, and that the smart, speckle-backed pullet was no good at all for laying. "'She gives us a little brown egg now and then,' Mary said, "'and makes such a fuss about it. That's why I call her Fanny.' She is so like Miss Fanny at home, who could not sew at all well, but when she made a dress that a woman could wear, all the countryside knew about it. He, she indicated the lordly rooster, is called the Mister, that is, the Master in English. A smile showed in the man's sombre eyes. Early in the morning she had given him a bowl of porridge and had eaten some herself. A bowl containing porridge for Steve when he wakened was set by the hearth. The house was in order, Davy bathed, and put in his basket in the sun, and Mary was making bread of the little flour and meal left in the bags when Steve awoke. He sat up on the bed and looked uneasily about the room. He was a frail, sickly-looking creature. The fever had left him, but there were apprehension and desperate fear in his eyes, as with a quickened light they rested on her. "'He's awake!' Mary called softly to the man out of doors. He sprang across the threshold. "'It's all right, Steve,' he said. "'This woman's a friend.' She had stooped to the hearth and lifted the bowl of porridge. Steve ate like a hungry dog, tearing at the bread and thrusting large spoonfuls of porridge into his mouth. Mary gave him a cup of hot milk. He swallowed it at once and coughed and swore as it scalded his throat. "'If you could see what you can do for us in the way of clothes, ma'am,' his companion said, "'we'll be moving on.' Her eyes were troubled. "'If harm came of my helping you,' she began, "'if—' "'Innocent blood was shed,' he said. "'There was bitterness in his voice. "'You're like the rest of them, good, bad, or indifferent. "'You hurt us altogether, convicts. "'If you mean—' his eyes sought her. "'If you mean you're afraid that instead of helping to give a man another chance for his life, "'you may be helping a wolf to harry the lambs. "'You're making a mistake, ma'am.' I swear by all I hold sacred, you'll not repent of what you have done for me. Mary smiled, her tension of spirit relieved. I believe you, she said simply. She took Donald's working clothes from the pegs where they hung behind the door. They were worn but whole. From the heavy sea chest that stood in the far corner of the room, she took a grey flannel shirt, also one of unbleached calico, and a pair of dingy black trousers. Then she brought a pair of broken boots and a torn felt hat from the shed where the plough and tools were kept. "'There's only one hat, and I'll have to stitch it for you,' she said. But he, 
with a glance at Steve, who had fallen asleep again on the bed. He won't have need of a hat for a while with that bandage on his head, and when the cut is healed, you had better give him this one to wear, and you will be able to say you have lost yours. The tall man glanced from Donald's heavy boots to Steve's bruised and blackened feet. You had better put on those yourself, Mary said, following his glance. Perhaps he could wear mine. She sat down and took off her shoes. While he measured her shoe against Steve's foot, she slipped her feet into a broken pair of green hide covers clamped with nails that Donald had made. They'll be all right for him, he said. I'll waken him now and we'll get on our way. She took the bread that had been browning on the hearthstones and put it on the table. The hut was filled with the warm, sweet smell of the newly baked loaves. "'You can change in here while I put Davy to sleep outside,' she said. "'And there's a pail of water and soap there by the doorway. It will do you no harm to douse with it.' The tall man laughed. It was a boyish burst, that laugh of his. The piece of advice, womanly in its essence, and delivered with an air of maternal solicitude, touched a forgotten wellspring of merriment. Mary lifted Davy into her arms and sang to him softly as she walked up and down in the sunshine. A long, straggling figure came to her a few moments later, clad in Donald's clothes. She smiled to see the way they hung short on his ankles, hitched over the long, thin legs. But the dousing of creek water had done more than cleanse his body. In an indefinable way, it had purified and stimulated the inner man. He had found Donald's shears, too, and had clipped the shaggy growth about his chin to a modest beard, and shorn his head of some of its shock of hair. "'You have the air of a daffy young Englishman just arrived in the colonies to make your fortune,' she said. "'Ma'am, isn't that what I am?' There was a blithe recklessness in his voice. He swept her the bow that was considered gallant in the old country. Steve appeared in the doorway. "'Are you going now?' she asked. He nodded. "'But I must give you some bread and milk to take with you,' she said. It will be a long time before you strike Middleton's. It was there I was thinking you might make for at first. It's across the ranges to the east. If you follow the track across the clearing, you will find a stock route. You've only to keep along that, and it will bring you to the station. It's four or five days' journey from here, I think, and maybe there'll be a job with cattle there. Drovers are being wanted everywhere. They were when we came up from the port nearly a year ago. Yes, he said. We heard in the island that every man in the country is wanting to be gold hunting, and that the cattle owners can't get beasts to the market. They're running off wild where the stockmen have left them. We want any job that'll bring food and money to begin with, and they say men with cattle are not making too particular inquiries as to who's doing their droving, so long as it's done. She put Davy in his basket and went back to the hut. When she reappeared, it was with some bread and a bottle of milk wrapped in a piece of bagging. "'You'll have no trouble about water, because there are creeks all through the hills,' she said, as she put the bundle into his hand. Steve had gone off without speaking to her. He was slouching towards the trees. The tall man took the food from her. Their eyes met. "'Have I ever seen you before? I seem to know you,' she asked, distress on her face. "'Pray God not, ma'am,' he said. "'What is your name?' "'You'd better not know.' For a moment, in a storm of gratitude and emotion, his mind trembled on the verge of self-revelation. His face worked uncertainly. "'I cannot say what I want to,' he said at last, as if restraint denied him almost any expression at all. "'This is a debt, ma'am. If ever, in any way, I can repay, I will. But there's no way of letting you know what you have done for me.' 
For a moment his eyes held hers. Then he turned away, and she watched him stride across the clearing and disappear among the trees. End of chapter 5